we're continuing where we left off um, with the thought of the week in prayer. It is May 3rd, 2020. We're going to continue with the thought of the week. i got to say that there's some noise. Uh, so, all right, gotcha. We're going to continue with the thought of the week in prayer. Okay. At this time, we'll have the thought of the week. The master plan. Okay, I admit it. I am struggling to define the plan of the Father in ways that will give it ultimate importance in our minds. Before we can examine the motives of God, we must know the plan in an intimate way. By this, I mean we must know it in enough detail to be able to develop the wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. To enter into the motivations of God, knowing the details of the plan is not enough. You must have a grasp of them so as to master them. Once mastered, we can enter into the wisdom spoken of here. To use a weird analogy for which the pastor might be known, it is like a murder trial. The facts that all the details must come out first. What actually happened? What is the evidence? What did the witness say? Once we have all the evidence and testimony in, we can see what happened. However, that is not good enough. Our attention must be focused on motive now. Why did he commit the murder? What was he thinking? What are the circumstances that led to the final resort? Murder? In the same way, we must have such a grasp of the details of the master plan to then progress to the modus of the father. He invites us to critique his thoughts, motives, and intents of his heart. Remarkably, this is the same way he examined our hearts. Praise God for these writings. So I look at this in the same way as when we pray for those that may come to the full knowledge and understanding of the salvation that the unsaved need so badly. As we give them time to understand the gospel, which is the only means of their salvation, and we pray for them, we just look forward to one day, God, give them the blessing and the understanding that salvation is a free gift, and the only way of salvation is through the Son, Jesus Christ. So at this time, we'll have Dwight, who will do prayer. Resuming. All right. Um, before we start the prayer, are there any special requests? I have some. Uh, if... yeah. So the prayer is obviously for... Uh, situation we're in, praying for a solution to this situation. And not only that, but that the church will be the witness, uh, the proper witness in the world during this time, using God's wisdom. All right. Thank you very much. At this time, let's, let's come before God. In humility and bowing our heads before heaven. 
Dear Father in heaven, we have many things that we would love to pray for you and we could go on for a long, long time. Um, but there are things that weigh heavy on our hearts at this time. One is the situation that we're currently in with this coronavirus. And we are praying that um, you would guide the hands of those who would have the ability to reach and uh, distribute a solution to the problem. We pray also that the, in the midst of this, the church would be a proper witness in the world so that um, so that people are not deceived by the craftiness of human schemes, um, but that we can know, come to know you and your glory and what the real purpose and your plan is. We pray for those who are um, suffering directly or even indirectly from the coronavirus, whether it's health-related, employment, or even home. Um, there are many people that are in situations they would much prefer not to be in, starving for food and looking for places to stay. And um, at the same time, there are people being affected by this virus and, and dying. And um, and this, this they do alone because we can't um, cross certain physical boundaries and, and, uh, for the risk of getting other people sick. So we know that this world is... In, is in evil and incredible ways, and, and a lot of it is serving the prince of the power of the air. We ask you to strengthen us in this battle. Um, we know that we are in a spiritual warfare. Let us choose our position and take it boldly. We pray for all of Word is Truth Church and the churches worldwide who are diligently and humbly seeking you in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We pray for Brenda, her continued health, improvement. We're glad she is no longer testing positive for COVID-19. And we also lift up our brother Michael and his wife and his family to you. Um, we pray that people would exercise their reasoning and volition and hearing and following the influence of the spirit of truth, that many would be saved from being led astray by human wisdom and false teaching. And we pray for us on a call that we all may have eyes, the eyes of our hearts opened and enlightened to your unsearchable riches that are in Christ. And we pray for our Pastor Presley, that he is given the ability to successfully struggle with the great power that works within him. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight and, I, and Bill. Appreciate that. Um, we're going to move right into uh, where we are. John chapter 14 and verse 20. It reads, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. So this is a classic verse. Uh, we have referenced it much as we have gone into the context. Uh, we will certainly uh, reference it continually because it is a, uh, I would say it's, it is a point in time that we need to uh, focus on those of us who are in this age. So you have notes, and I will warn you, I am not going to be rushing through this. I'm going to take my time. However we get through, we get through, and then we'll pick up next week. But uh, I consider this one of the breakthrough passages that helped the disciples get to this point where 
we have the doctrines of the church today. So let's take our time and go through it. In your notes, you have the events on that day would change everything we ever knew about God. This event was momentous as it was described in the early chapters of the book of Acts. As the church age was born, and when we finally began to examine and investigate just what happened, and what we find is absolutely astounding. Theologically speaking, we learn more about God here than we did from creation. Here, we learn what God was thinking when he created all things. It all happened on that day. All of this was reduced to a 24-hour time period for those fragile, whimsical disciples who endured by faith and dared to trust in the words of the Lord. Uh, their eyes were opened on that day. He took that small group of puzzled, emotional, disappointed, and fearful disciples and made them part of the foundation of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. On that day, they were transformed from an earthly people to a heavenly people in Christ. There was no doubt they were changed, bolder, more believing and trusting, and more fervent to fulfill their new destiny. I can only imagine their faces as the Spirit of Truth began to reveal what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. I can certainly say that I am just as excited and ready to hear the manifold wisdom of God some 2,000 years later. Are you ready? So let's dig in phrase by phrase, if we could, to John 14, 20. So on that day. So the first thought is, on what day? If you don't already know this, I really feel ashamed writing this. But for people who may not know, or they're like, what day are you talking about? Pentecost. That's what day we're talking about. And that's what day Jesus was referencing in all his many times that he referenced on that day. Uh, we can certainly say this with, with, with assuredness, if that's even a word. So I'm going to go to Acts <laughs> chapter 2. And here it is. When the day of Pentecost came, this is verse 1. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then it goes on to talk about what happened. And, but that is the day. When the day of Pentecost came, that's the day we're talking about. Next point. Many prophecies from our Lord were fulfilled on this special day. And we could go through, if you're already in the book of John, this is where we're, where we're at. We'll just look at here, John chapter 14. And, and may I say that there's 
before we get into all these verses that we will eventually get to, there are a lot of them. So if you're not able to follow through with some of these verses, and I would like you to read them all, even if we don't do it all in this sitting, but there's just so much information here that, um, and just so much that goes to this that we, we need to really take our time. And I'm hoping you do so as well. So, um, John 14, 12 is one of the prophecies. Very, very, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Is that 12? Did I mean to say 12? Um, yeah, I guess. This was a prophecy, right? Believe me, uh, he says, they will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That is actually a prophecy, and it was fulfilled. It began on the day of Pentecost. And then there's uh, 16, verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. So certainly, all the way down to verse 23, he's prophesying about this time. Uh, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And all the way down to on that day, you will realize I am in the Father. Your Father is, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So it goes on. I, I could continue to read because these are all prophecies that were fulfilled on that day. It's a very special time. Then 1526 talks about the advocate coming. And then there's chapter 16. Let's read a couple. Uh, I know we've read these before. I'm going to chapter, <coughs> chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. Verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away, because uh, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And he continues, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me. Uh, it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from what is from me and will make known to you. So all this, these are prophecies that Jesus is giving us to say that these things will happen when the Advocate or the Comforter comes. 
So we should take the prophecies of Jesus literally. Right? When he's telling us this, this is going to happen. And then we watch, I say we take it literally, but as we watch how prophecies are fulfilled, we can see the literal nature of Jesus saying, I'm going to send the advocate. And then we watch in scripture, it develop where the prophecy was actually fulfilled. This prophecy was fulfilled within 50 days of Jesus giving the prophecy. So during that 50 days, we had the period of scripture. So we could trace and see how this thing happened that Jesus said would happen. Sure enough, it happened just as he said it would. Uh, we have to put our trust in promises. And just like it says, there are other promises that we can attach ourselves to and, and we trust in. And I was reading something just to note about these promises. Prophecies are, in essence, promises. God is telling us what will happen. But these prophecies are kind of personal. It's just like what Jesus said in going back to 14. It's just like he said, I will not leave you as orphans. This is verse 18, 14, 18. I will come to you. And believing that prophecy for us is important, that we latch on to it, that that's something that, is, that develops hope in our hearts. Not only do we have faith in it, it means I believe it, Jesus said it, but faith goes further into hope and expectation, confident expectation and hope. So I was reading where Spurgeon wrote this thing about promises and uh, I thought that was good uh, he said a promise is like a check when you see what's on that check you see the the face of it I what God will do God is saying I will do this I will come to you and we got that check in our hands but in order we for us to believe it we have to take it to the bank and you know as I was going through my old papers here and um and what gave me this thought was i happened to see this check and i was going through papers from last year and i i slipped this check away and 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 then i saw it i was like yeah look at that i got extra money i didn't even realize i never even took this check to the bank and it was only eight dollars don't get excited right but even still, I was like, oh, it's a check. It's, but I, then I looked at the expiration on the check, and it was already, it says, if void after so many, after a certain date, one year from date. So then I thought, oh, man, I didn't take it to the bank in time to get it cashed. Long story, when I read that about Spurgeon, he was saying, you have to take the check to the bank. You know, a promise is like that. If you don't believe it, you're not even going to take it to the bank to get it cashed. And when you do, and even if you do take it to the bank, you have to endorse it on the back. So that you have to realize who it's written out to, and you have to sign your name on the back of that check before the bank will take it and give you proceeds from that. And in this case, it's this promise that we have to not only 
accept that God said this in the Word, but that it is to us. And once we accept that, we sign it, and we basically say, okay, God, I believe it, I trust in this. And not only that, I have confidence that this is true for me. You've wrote, you have written this to me, and I put my trust in it. So I just thought, in this case, when we read these prophecies of, I'm going to send the Spirit, I'm going to send this... He's talking to the disciples, but he's also talking to us. These are promises that you can put your name on, sign your signature. You know, and it won't do that you sign somebody else's signature on it. You have to sign your signature, your name, because you acknowledge that it is written to you. So that's a thought when we think about promises and prophecies. Point D, let's move forward in our outline here. The best way for them to understand was that uh, identical relationship will be shared with them or us. So how would the disciples understand what happened? What would happen on that day? On that day. So Jesus had been trying to convince them of what is supposed to happen or what they should believe you know, in the earlier verses of the context. But what he did was he says, hey, let me tell you the best way for you to understand this is for it to happen to you. The identical relationship that I'm talking about with the Father is going to be extended to you. So when we read verses 20 through 23, that is Jesus saying this that was going on with me, that I was trying to tell you, don't you believe that the Father is in me and I am in the Father? Don't believe me when I tell you that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He's pleading with the disciples. He says, well, listen, you're going to know it when it happens to you. Verses 20 through 23, they declare that this will happen on that day. So it's, a, it's an important day. It is the birthday of the church. Uh, I'm trying to get Pentecostal on you. I know for some who have made Pentecost a, a bad word, uh, uh, people who, who are on that side, they, they don't think it's a bad word. They think it's a good word. But for others, to say you're Pentecostal, I wouldn't say that that is my theo- theological stance today because people would not understand where I was coming from. They would probably associate me with people who speak in tongues and believe in all these miracles and emotional and this and that. They may consider that, that that's where I am. But that that is not where I am, so I would not say I'm Pentecostal. But here, in the truest sense of the word, we should be Pentecostal. We should understand that the spirit of truth came on that day, just like Jesus said. And it inaugurated the church. The the very thing that Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. And that is the birthday of the church. That is a proud day, not a day we should look down upon. It is a day that we should remember with honor. That's the day the church age began. That's the day the eternal purpose of God began to be fulfilled. So we have that. Uh, on that day. Point number two, let's move forward in our outline here. What will happen on that day? You will realize 
So I just always looked at this word realize or know, you will know. So other versions have uh, various ways of saying it. But the word is simply gnosko. It is, and this is just a definition of the word. And I copied the whole thing in here so you can just read it. Because um, on that day, this is what will happen. You will know, right? So this is what that word know means. To learn to know, come to know, get a knowledge of, perceive, feel. And then they're given some more definitions of how it's used. To become known. To know, understand, perceive, have knowledge of, to understand. You would see where a lot of this is going, to know. And point number three here in our definition here is Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. So just like it says, and Adam knew Eve and, and Cain was conceived and so forth. Right? So it's, it's an idiom because it is intimate knowledge, right? It is... It was used as an idiom for knowing. And uh, let's see what else we have here. To become acquainted with, to know. And this all came from Thayer. So it says in point B, you, and when it says you, he's referring to the disciples. And we should point out that, and I, I only put that in because he could be referring to us because by way of extension, and this is John seventeen twenty. We believe on him through uh, the message that they received and that we would have the same oneness that they have. So it is, a person could be, you know, a stickler and say, oh, this is only referring to the disciples. I'm acknowledging that it's referring to the disciples and it also refers to us by way of extension. So on that day, but now of course we have to play by context because I wasn't alive on that day. Neither were you. No no one was here who was alive on that day. You will know, and, and I asked the question, what will they know? So in context, what Jesus had been trying to tell them, uh, why would they know it? Pentecost. Right? I'm just playing with the words and the sentence structure so that we can we can understand it at a base level. On that day, you will know, you will realize. And I'd say, what? what will they realize? What will they know? The context, in context. So Jesus had been trying to tell them something the whole time. He says, I'm going away. I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send. He says, the Spirit. he's the spirit of truth. He will this and that. He, he goes through a whole litany of things. But even before that, in the context of this, is, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me, doing the work. Believe me when I tell you, when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So he was, his point that he's making here in the context is, under, to, to know the Father. This was the whole thing that Philip, uh, you know, made, you know, he did this, he asked this question, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip? So show us the Father, you know the Father, Philip. And <clears throat> haven't I been with you this long? 
Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? That doesn't make sense. Don't you believe? And then he goes into this, what I would call mutual possession. Jesus was in the Father, and the Father was in Jesus. This relationship was going on, and we're going to talk about some of the results of that. But what we just want to, at a base level, understand what uh, they will know. Right? What does Jesus eventually uh, show them uh, at Pentecost? And it is what he was talking about in the context here. That he is in the Father, and that the Father is in. And this is why I was making that comment that what other what is the better way to show them other than to say, hey, let me just tell you, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you experience it. Then you will know what I'm talking about. Now we could make the point here that that's what he was trying to get at all along. <laughs> he yes, that was going on inside of him. But his point was to introduce the disciples to what would eventually happen when they reached that day, Pentecost. So <clears throat> it's an important thought that we focus our attention on that day, as well as using what happened with Christ and the Father as a model for understanding what happens to us. So we'll, as, as we look at this, we'll be able to play off each experience. We'll be able to look at our experience and understand how it worked with the Father and Christ. We'll be able to look at the Father and Christ and understand how it should work for us because we got the same experience. We got the same relationship that Jesus had with the Father. So, one other point to make before we go forward is that the, the Holy Spirit facilitates this relationship. Now, I can't say that it facilitates it for Jesus and the Father, although I believe it to be so, uh, to some degree. But I can say, when it comes to man, before we are able to experience that Jesus is in us and we're in Jesus, we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is what is most important. He is what is most important in order for this to happen for us. It does not say that in, on that day Jesus was filled with the Spirit and he began to, you know, the Father lived in him. And so it doesn't say that. Although I did throw some things out there before where I believe I know when that happened or I believe it happened at the baptism of Jesus. Of course, some people are going to disagree. That's fine. But that's my thought. It's when that happened is when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by John. So, now, did the same exact thing happen? Was Jesus baptized by the Spirit? I, the Bible doesn't go into all of that. It just says that Jesus had this relationship. And he had been teaching the disciples about the Father. And the, he'd been teaching, but really it was the Father in Christ, teaching them about who he was. That's why Jesus made the comment, what do you mean, show us the Father? Don't you know me? I've been displaying the Father for you the whole time. How can you say that? 
That is what was going on. Those, that dynamic mutual possession was going on in Christ. It is the same thing that's happening within us. So that's to note. It is by means of the Spirit that this relationship takes place in us. So we can, but we'll talk more about it as it develops. And we're, we're going to have to take our time and develop these concepts. And while I know this group has been with me a long time, and uh, I could probably say some things and, and not have to explain everything. But for some reason, I am compelled to take it and try to justify everything is, that I'm saying you know, and really, I know I, I could live on the, the, the proofs that we had already gained and amassed, but at this point, I'm going to go slow. And if we need some clarification or why I did use a per particular scripture, then we will we will go there. So you disciples will know. This is point B. I know we may have crossed this already. You will know in context. Jesus has been trying to tell them why they would know it, and it's Pentecost. Right? Pentecost will explain everything. I have much, like he says in John 16, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, right? when is the Spirit of Truth coming? Pentecost, right? This is, we keep our focus on Pentecost because that is when the church age began. That is when the mystery that has been hidden from ages and past generations was unveiled. Now, we should know that even though it was unveiled at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit didn't just rush and give everybody the fullness of the church age. The church age had to mature. And uh, the church age had to grow in this new knowledge and understanding. So we, we, we don't think it automatically happened. Jesus said, he will remind you of everything I told you. He will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me. Like all of the, the stage was set, but he certainly didn't tell us all because he said we couldn't bear it. He says, I got much more to tell you, much more. Well, we're going to talk about that much more in addition to what Jesus already said. So um, point C, this is we're in 2C. I know I keep going off the beaten path here. What will they know? Right? When he says, you will realize, the question is, what will they know? And here it is, what no eye, ear, or heart could know. That's what they would know. That's why it's so astounding. Right? Because it's, it's beyond the pale of human comprehension and understanding. But... The Spirit of Truth would make the difference. First uh, Corinthians two ten, you know, in First Corinthians, let's go there because we're going to actually use First Corinthians because I love as a sister passage to what Jesus said in John sixteen, where he says, "I have much more to tell you." A lot of that much more is found right here in First Corinthians chapter two, and so. I want to use it as more of a sister passage. So go ahead and turn your Bible to it, because we're going to be there for a while. And there is a definition, which uh, it is day, right? That's the definition. It's First Corinthians 2.10. Let's read it, 2.9, and I want to show where the, the participle, the, 
the particle is. That's that's there. That's it's day. I want to show you the significance of it. So two nine says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. So in two ten, it starts out with day. And let me just give you in point C what day is. It's a primary particle. Right? It's adversative as well as or continuative. But it, these are the definitions found in strong, right? But it's, it's also, as, as you would say, adversative, etc. And also, and these are other ways it can be translated. But moreover, now, often, often it's not even expressed. And in this case, the NIV did not express it for some reason. But if we compare, like the King James, they did express it. You know, they put but in there just so you could uh, see the, how it's adverse. It's, you know, it's showing the, in contrast to what was said in a previous verse, right? So 2.10 if I look at the contrast of the King James Version, it says, uh, but God has revealed them, right? That, so these are things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, and they haven't entered the heart of man. God has prepared for those who love us, love him. And he says, but God revealed them. I like the but better, even though the NIV didn't bring it. I like the contrast of but has referred to that in that verse. And it's just a one little verse, but it says that the, here's how we got this information. We couldn't get it because we can't possibly comprehend it. However, there is a means by which God is offering that we can have this information. And, and it's all contrasted in that word, but. And how do we get it? God has revealed to us these things by means of the Spirit, by the Spirit. Spirit, And then he goes into how the Spirit is going to do this. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So, things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, entered in the heart of man, are the deep things of God. So this is part of on that day you will realize, right? You will know. And how will you know? It's because the Spirit will come. And the ministries of the Spirit will direct you and help you come to understand. The Spirit will testify with your spirit. He will negotiate with you. He will try to lead you into all truth. So you... Your responsibility is to follow in humility what the Spirit's leadings are. Point D. So here we go. Just know whatever they were to know is, right? And then here is where I want to use 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to understand what it is or whatever it is they were going to know. He didn't say, on that day you will know, and he says that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. We'll get to the, that later. But what were they to know? We could certainly begin to see how that's explored in the New Testament. 
in the epistles that we have. So what is it, hopefully you're following me here, what is it that they were to know? Here it is. And I'm going to use 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to illustrate. We declare, this is 1 Corinthians 2.7, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So it's God's wisdom. That's what we are going to know on that day. It's This is what's... Re- the spirit of truth has revealed to us. God's a, it's a mystery, right? We know that's what happened on uh, Pentecost, that the church age began and the church age is called. It was hidden. Nobody knew there would be a church or anything such. And in, in, in this manner, another body that had at its inception, Jews and Gentiles, who were called into this one body. Nobody ever knew that this was the case. This is a lot of the friction that we find in the New Testament with the Jews is because they didn't understand or they didn't want to believe what the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, brought at Pentecost. They refused to believe it. Even though they said, oh yeah, I believe in Christ. Yeah, he he did the works of the Messiah. I just won't believe this stuff that happened that you're saying at Pentecost. That is where people are. But that is where the lion's share of the information began to be. I'm just showing you in 1 Corinthians 2 how God himself characterized this information. He is saying it's his wisdom. It's not man's wisdom. That's why eye and ear and heart can't receive it because it doesn't, it's not human. It's God's wisdom, and but notice, and God destined it is destined for our glory before time began. Key words here. You could think about, meditate on this verse. This is you have to really think what was God saying in all of this when He says our glory. He's talking about us in the church age. You, me, everyone on this call who's saved. That's who he's talking about. And what is this wisdom? Is it salvation? Is not salvation? Something that goes beyond salvation right to the purpose that God called us from eternity past or before time began. When did time begin? The creation of the universe. This is what God was thinking. And he's calling it his wisdom. So his wisdom is crouched in or couched in a plan. It's not just wisdom randomly. Wisdom relative to the mystery and this plan that relates to us as well. Point number two. It is revealed by the Spirit. And it says, even the deep things of God. That's verse 10. So the deep things of God, not the deep things of man. This is what they were to know on that day, the deep things of God. This is why I said earlier, theologically, this would change everything we knew about God forever. And we, this, this is profound. So we have never learned 
this type of revelation about God. We have looked at creation as a part of God's revelation, and we can derive from that much about who God is and what he's like, the kind of power he has, etc. We've also looked at the Mosaic Law and how he's revealed himself to prophets and people uh, on the earth and what he said to them. But he never told them this information. He held it. It's it, Like it's in Ephesians 3, it says it was hid in God. No one knew this information. So I'm just pointing out that what does God think about this information? He calls it the deep things of God. <laughs> Everything about God to me is deep. But here, God is saying, these things are the deep things of God. That's 1 Corinthians 2.10. Point number three, also, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So what do, I, what, what do we pull from this verse? That these deep things are the thoughts of God. Now, when are they the thoughts of God? I mean, are we talking about the st some stream of consciousness where we can channel into God's thoughts at this very moment? What is God thinking in 2020, you know, on May 3rd? No, that's not what we're talking about. The thoughts of God from eternity past, before time began, that he hid until he revealed it at this point. And what do we have to say the word is? Pentecost. Because why Pentecost? It's not some Jewish festival that we're trying to, to tout. It is the fact that the Holy Spirit came in this new ministry to the world. That's why Pentecost is important. So point three, this is not only the deep things of God. Not only is it God's wisdom, it's the deep things of God. But it's the thoughts. And, and, and no one knows the thoughts of God. But who knows them except the Spirit of God? And what we get in 1 Corinthians 2.11 is to say that at Pentecost, the only way you could get this information, you couldn't get it by reading the Old Testament, by coming up with the wisdom of the Old Testament, because nothing about this was revealed in that body of revelation. This information is only revealed at Pentecost. That's when it began to be revealed. And that's when people began to know about the church and the distinctiveness of it, the new purpose of the church, what it says about God and what he hid in his heart and all of that. That's when it began to be known. There's no other way you can get this information. And we know it is also called the thoughts of God. And then point four, that we may understand what God has freely given us. So in 1 Corinthians 2.12, we may say, wow, God is so way out there. We'll never understand who he is and what he is all about. God is so far lifted up from our finite minds. There's no way we can ever under. I hear this kind of talk all the time when God is referenced and how lofty and, and wise he is. And we're not even to compare our wisdom with his wisdom. And it is, that is true. But, but his wisdom is out there. I mean, but listen, 
that point number four is that we may understand. God is not saying that we should have the attitude that is way beyond us. I'm not even going to try to comprehend what God has said here in the Bible. It's, to, it's beyond us. It is not true. It is for us. That's what we need to say. It's for us. And God is freely given. He wants, it belongs to us. This was the wisdom we read earlier that was destined for our glory before time began. We are the ones, we are the recipients of this. So of course it appropriately belongs to us. So we, we have to make sure we understand that, that it is not something that is obscure. It's still a mystery. It's revealed. Point five. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. So there's three things to bring out in this verse re relative to what we're talking about today. This is what we speak. What is this? This is the information, the thoughts of God, the deep things of God, the things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. This is the wisdom that God destined for our glory before time began. This is the information that is available to us. That, and God has freely given it to us that we may understand it. That means not only that, this is what we speak. We, this is our conversation. Now, of course, I can't say it's everybody's conversation because it says it's for the mature. But it, it is supposed to be what we're about. It is about our destiny, our calling. This is what we speak, Paul says. But not in words taught us by human wisdom. So, in other words, nothing you find in the Old Testament or human wisdom at all will suffice for our destiny. This is what we're talking about. This is why Pentecost is so special for us. I'm not talking about the Jewish feast uh, where they brought uh, the first of their fruit and uh, produce to the Lord. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit came on that day. That's what's significant. It is the Holy Spirit. It is what he brings to us that I say changes us forever. So it it is... This is what we speak. It's When we speak it, it's not in words taught us by human wisdom. It's not about human wisdom, but in words. Here's the only way you can get this information. By the Spirit. Now, just to note, and I probably said this before, people have taken Pentecost, right, and what happened at Pentecost, and forget about the Spirit of Truth and what He will do, and He will lead you in all truth and all that. They have made it some emotional thing where you flop around, you speak in tongues, gibberish, or you, it's really not, you know, tongues. But you do all these things and, you know, you get emotional, your eyes get big and wide, and you talk about you receive some second blessing and all that, right? That's not what I'm talking about here. And I realize people are down that road. They've gone down that road. But I would say... Follow the promises of Jesus. Follow the words of Jesus here. 
Don't just look at Pentecost as some aberrant, aberrant thing that happened, some abstract thing that all of a sudden happened. It is within a context. Jesus is telling us what it's all about. First Corinthians is also helping us to understand what the flavor of Pentecost was all about. So all these things came or taught by the Spirit. Notice it is about knowledge, wisdom, understanding. In fact, I didn't even see anything about emotion. But guess what? What is true is I'm, I'm emotional when it comes to the understanding of this. I, I get emotional. I'm passionate about the understanding of this. Once the Lord blesses us with this, I mean, how can we not be? But what I'm trying to understand is it is not on the other side where it's, a, it's about emotion. It's not. You can have whatever emotional response you want to it. I'm sure yours will probably be different from mine, but that's fine. Let it be whatever it is. Point six. The person, notice, without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So, the person without the Spirit, what, what do we mean without the Spirit? What, what does that mean? It means they, do not, they don't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Is this generally the Holy Spirit? Is this about salvation? No, the context is not about salvation. The context is what happened at Pentecost. Now, there are, there's a dividing line here. Either you will accept the things that happened at Pentecost, or you will reject them. By rejecting them, you are rejecting the ministry of God the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Now, there may have been some people who are in the valley of decision because they believed in Christ during the time they were alive and then all of a sudden Pentecost came while they were living and they would have had to get with this information. And then there was the Jews who refused to believe. Some of them believed in Christ, but they refused to believe in Pentecost. Uh, this is what's being said here. They can't ever get to these deep things. They can't ever get to the thoughts of God or the wisdom of God that was destined for our glory before time began. They can't ever get with the mystery because that's when it was revealed. So what will happen? What will they think? <clears throat> and number six, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> Hold on. They will consider them foolishness. What will they consider foolishness? What comes from the Spirit of God at Pentecost? Well, things that I have not seen, ears not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. Of course they can consider that foolishness because there's no human frame of reference for it. If you go around saying the things that come from the Spirit of God, they will consider these things foolishness. God has given us capacity not only to be transformed into his image, but, but to think his very thoughts, to understand his eternal purpose and plan. And they 
would say, this is foolishness. You can't have, you can't enter into such areas. There's no way you can know these things. But only, we can only know them by means of the Spirit. So if you yield yourself to the Spirit, you will have the understanding. If you refuse, you will consider these things foolishness and you cannot understand them. Why? Because, this is, because they are only discerned through the Spirit. That's the only way they can be investigated is through the Spirit. Right? Don't you can't go to Leviticus or Ezekiel to confirm these things. Can only, they can only be confirmed through the Spirit. So that's important to know. <clears throat> because people who will refuse this information will quickly try to point to other places in Scripture in the Old Testament where God said this and he said that. But now, since the Holy Spirit came and God demonstrated all of these things through the church, through signs, wonders, and various miracles. Now God has signaled what his new direction is. This is it. There's no other way we can look at this. So point seven, the person with the Spirit, and what the Spirit means, not just because just you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit, but that you accept the things that happened at Pentecost. You respect them. You're able to use that wisdom and you're able to make judgments about all things. <clears throat> now, all things is another phrase to watch. Because remember, it is uh, definitely talking about what God did through the person of Christ. It says, through him, all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth, things visible, things invisible, whether it be thrones, dominions, powers, whatever. All things were made by him and for him. So when we read that, he makes judgments about all things. It is a key phrase of understanding. Later, in 1 Corinthians, he says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus, whether things to come or things, things present, things to come, all things are yours. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter at the end of 3. So you're able, the person with the Spirit, doesn't mean you have, just have the Holy Spirit, but the person with the Spirit, meaning the Spirit that happened, that came at Pentecost, the Spirit of Truth, who Jesus says, you cannot, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. We're talking about that much more right now. So they're able to make judgments. But the person who, who does not, receive the Spirit. It's foolishness. He'll even say it's blasphemous. That's what the... In fact, when Jesus came and said and did the things that he did, you know what they said of him? Blasphemy. That's blasphemous. They're going to say, same thing for you. It's blasphemous. Some of the things that God has said about us, they will consider blasphemous. I'm just laying it out there. And we already said it's not human. Things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. We already said there are deep things of God, there are thoughts of God. No man can know these things, only God. And God has revealed them to us so that we may understand what he has freely given us. So point, what time is it? Oh gosh, we're going to have to quit.
0.78.8 is the last one. I guess we're going to have to, we won't get into the whole detail of that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and so forth. We'll get into that next week. But point eight says, Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 2.15. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The answer to that, nobody can know the mind. This is, comes from an Old Testament passage in Isaiah. No one can be can counsel the Lord. No one can know the mind of the Lord that, that, so as to instruct him. Nobody. That, the answer to that is equivocally nobody. But we, notice it says, have the mind of Christ. And guess what? Christ has the mind of the Lord, with the, the Lord here being the Father. Yeah, right? So if we look at John 16, where it says, Christ says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said to you, I'm taking from what is mine and making it known to you. What is mine? M-I-N-E now becomes M-I-N-D. The mind of Christ. That is what directs our thinking. He is the head. And his mind directs what we think. He is the head. We are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we're going to have to quit this week, but next week we'll continue with the thought uh, of how this mutual possession works. We'll get into some of the dynamics of it. But I just want to lay the groundwork for some of the mechanics here, and hopefully we've done that. So let's bow our heads. We'll continue with the thought next week. Father, thank you for this time again we have this week. Again, you are brought you have brought to the table the opportunity to focus our attention on these scriptures that speak of our destiny. We thank you so much for choosing us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. We thank you for everyone who is on this call, everyone who will listen to these words and Look at these scriptures that you have presented in your word. Thank you so much. We are so appreciative as we uh, allow these thoughts to develop in our hearts. Thank you for the ministries of uh, Christ came and he did his work and performed the work necessary. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who at this point, point is everything to us to to help us understand the mind of Christ. All this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.